This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everybody. So there's a lot of talk about the extra innings rule, and most of the reaction has been negative. And I understand why. It's a radical change to the way the game has been played and puts the pitcher in a spot that the other team hasn't earned against him. Obviously, it's part of the new safety protocols. Eliminating longer extra inning games is the goal, so the players spend less time together at the ballpark in those situations. We'll see how that part of it plays out. But the sheer strategic part of it could be very entertaining. It's been part of minor league baseball the last few seasons, and it goes back a few decades in women's college and Olympic softball, where it is known as the international tiebreaker. I've covered two Olympic softball tournaments in my career, 1996 in Atlanta and 2000 in Sydney, and I've seen the tiebreaker be more of a heartbreaker, with one example that's been seared into my memory. In 1996 in Atlanta, Team USA faced Australia and was locked in a scoreless tie. But it wasn't an ordinary tie at this point. Lisa Fernandez, probably the greatest college softball pitcher of all time, was throwing a perfect game. Perfect through the regulation seven innings, perfect through eight, and perfect through nine. And then came the tenth inning, when the automatic runner at second resulted in an unearned run for the U.S., which was the visiting team. Fernandez took that one nothing lead and tried to finish off her perfect game in the bottom of the 10th, which again started with a runner at second base. She struck out the first two batters to raise her total to 15 Ks for the day and then got ahead of the next batter 0-2. One strike away from perfection at the Olympics, the next pitch was instead a home run. A two-run homer that won the game for Australia 2-1 and stunned Fernandez and her U.S. teammates. Remember, that runner at second base to start the inning. It would have been devastating if Fernandez and the U.S. hadn't bounced back the way they did, with Fernandez firing a three-hit shutout in the semifinal game against China, another 10-inning affair, and then coming out of the bullpen to clinch the gold medal game a day later. But with so much experience on the international front and at the college level, where she's a coach at her alma mater, UCLA, Lisa Fernandez is the perfect person to discuss the implications of the new extra innings rule. And as a four-time All-American, three-time College Player of the Year, two-time national champion, and three-time Olympian, her credentials are impeccable. For a discussion on the excitement, strategy, and heartbreak of this extra innings rule, as well as a discussion about the impact women are starting to have in the coaching ranks of professional baseball, here is my conversation with Lisa Fernandez. Lisa, first thing I want to ask you is when you heard about the extra innings rule 
coming into Major League Baseball for this season. I know it's been in the minor leagues for a couple of years. You've obviously dealt with this for a long time. What were your first thoughts when you heard about this as a as a situation that we're going to see in the major leagues? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, you know, that's something that's been in our game, uh, a fast pitch softball for a while. Um, and as you've said, I, I do have a lot of experience in that. And to be able to hear that actually it was going into the game of baseball, um, man, I, I didn't know I'd see the day when, when that would happen. Uh, you know, it, it does make a difference. I'll tell you that from a pitcher's perspective to, you know, sit here and, and, you know, be throwing a game and I've had some incredible games yeah. with it involved and, uh, to battle, to battle. And then to find out that, uh, you know, a runner gets added on and at the most critical part of the game, it's, it's tough, but you, you definitely have to kind of tighten it up and get after it because, you know, it doesn't take a hit to score a run when it starts with a runner at second base and no outs. So it's, it's game changing. I'm going to get to the specifics of the games that you were involved with in a second, but would it surprise you to know that the pitchers who've spoken about this so far are not big fans of this rule? <laughs> yeah, no, that's not surprising at all. Trust me, I've I've had my fair share of heartbreak and you know pitching my guts out and then losing a ball game, you know, in, in an extra inning, you know, international tiebreaker role. So uh, it's tough, you know, because it, it definitely levels the playing field. You know, it, it forces a team who doesn't need to get the base hit to earn the run. Um, you know, basically you can have a, a fly ball deep enough to advance the runner to third base, and it could either be a, you know, another deep fly ball, or it could be a simple ground ball that, you know, the runner breaks on and, and they can score a run. So it definitely it's it's not to the advantage of the pitcher, let's say that. All right, so you mentioned your share of heartbreak, and I want to get to the game that, I know, and I've spoken about on the air many times, talking about this is my experience watching this in action. Uh, and I don't know how many people remember this, but I'm sure you remember this pretty well. Uh, let's break this down slowly. This is in the 1996 Olympic tournament. It's the sixth game that you've played in the tournament, and you're facing Australia. It's a scoreless game. Heading to the 10th. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. The runner on second doesn't start right away. You're playing seven innings regulation, but are the eighth and ninth innings under regular rules and the extra runner starts in the 10th? Yeah, no, it's, you know, it, it varies depending on how they want to work it. You know, okay. there are times in college ball where they institute it in the eighth inning, and then there are times when they institute it in, in innings after that. It, it all depends on, you know, the scenario that you're playing in. Okay. Do you remember in this game I'm talking about in the Olympics? Yeah, it, it, was, in the, it was in the ninth inning. It started in the ninth inning. Okay. So tell me what you're thinking as you know that this is a possibility as you're getting through this. You're locked up in this battle. There's not a whole lot else you can do to change. I mean, you you can't pitch any better. You're throwing a perfect game, I believe, at this point, right? Yeah, it was a tough one. Um, you know, hadn't given up any hits, hadn't had any base runners, and started with a runner at second base. I, I struck out the two batters before, and I was 0-2 on the hitter and, and thought that we were going to win the game if if I could get this last out, and uh, unfortunately didn't uh, give full focus and, and attention to the pitch that was being thrown, was probably looking too far ahead, and ended up giving up a home run and ended up losing the game 2-1, um, to one. so kind of lost the no-hitter, lost the perfect game, lost the shutout in, in a matter of, of one swing. So, um, yeah, it's it's tough, you know, and, and obviously from a pitcher's perspective, you know, you pride yourself on, you know, earned runs and, and being able to hold your opponent to earn to earn runs, and yet, 
you know, with the international tiebreaker, you could, you know, you could lose a game and, and you know, the run not be earned. And, that, and that's always tough pill to swallow. But, I mean, there, there are some advantages to the game. I will tell you this. I did play in a high school CIF, champ, uh, CIF first round game where actually we went 29 innings. Oh, wow. I drew 21 innings in day one, and I drew eight innings in day two, and we ended up winning the game one to nothing. So, uh, you know, there are some definite battles, and I understand, you know, I have seen some baseball games that have gone, you know, into the teens of innings, and you never know exactly when it's going to end, and, you know, they get through to the end of the barrel when it comes to the pitchers, and, and it gets tough. So um, I understand the implementation of it. Um, it does bring a, a different aspect to the game. I'm not saying that pitchers are going to like it, that's for sure, because they work so hard. And then to be able to, you know, have a team that maybe hasn't been as deserving, have an opportunity to score a run is, is difficult, obviously, from a pitcher's perspective. But in terms of the overall uh, process of the game, you know, you, you sometimes need to be able to do something like this in order to make sure that um, there could be a conclusion because no one wants to end in the tie. Is this only in international, Lisa, or has this been implemented in college ball also? Oh, no, no. It's it's implemented in, in college. We just, we just happen to call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it started internationally because of the games, and then it's been instituted now in, in college ball, um, obviously not at the World Series. It's mm-hmm. not something that's gone to, but definitely in tournament play, um, it does just because you've got to be able to control the innings that are being played um, when it comes to tournaments and stuff like that. I want to go back to this Australia game. You guys had taken a lead one nothing in the top of the 10th. Do you recall how you pushed that run across? Was that bunting the runner over or, or how, how you got that run across? You know what? I actually, I don't, um, mm. but I'm assuming that it probably was a bunt and then it was probably some type of a sack fly or, or a play that uh, allowed the runner obviously to score with, you know, less than one out, you know, you have ample opportunities to get that run across and there is some strategy, you know, when you're, when you're the visiting team, you know, you can obviously, you got to figure out everything you can to, um, you know, figure out a way to score the run. And then, you know, when you're the home team, you have a little bit of flexibility to kind of figure out how you want to play it, you know, knowing that whether you scored in the first, you know, if your team scored in the top, um, you know, you can play it differently than if, you know, your team doesn't score in the top half of the inning. So home team definitely has an advantage, or actually, sorry, the visiting team definitely has an advantage when it gets down in the international tiebreaker, uh, because you can strategically figure out with that first base open, how you want to, how you want to go about it. You know, if, if you end up not scoring a run in the top half, then, Obviously, you know the winning run is that runner at second base. You can go ahead and literally walk the bases loaded if you wanted to to get to the right part of the order. Um, you know, if you happen to score in the top half of the inning, then, you know, you don't necessarily want to not only have the tying run at second, but now you don't want to put the tying run at, at first so or the winning run at first. So now you might want to go after hitters um, and even forget about, you know, the tying run if the situation comes about. So there's some strategic parts of it that, that will come into play as well. Yeah, and uh, you know, like you said, just one pitch changes everything. Uh, I had forgotten that it was o two, so you're one strike away. Ah, Man, can you do you not bring up those memories? <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the feeling of the bat off the ball? Knowing, did you know right away? Well, you know, the, the thing that was um, incredible about it was it was the first time we were in the Olympic Games, and it was actually the first start that I got of the games as well, and so. You know, whenever you go on the mound, you kind of visualize wanting to do something that maybe someone else had never done before and, and, and having a dramatic impact. And I remember, you know, being so excited to finally get the ball. As you said, it was, you know, not until the sixth game of, 
of the tournament, and I finally get the ball in my hand, and I'm on fire. I mean, I'm literally on fire. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I thought I was I was ready to break an Olympic record. You know, most strikeouts in the game, you know, perfect game, first perfect game in Olympic history ever. And uh, before I knew it, um, you know, it was, it was all gone. So, you know, definitely it, it left it has left, left a lasting impression on me. You had uh, another start a couple of days after this where – it was almost the same situation, but you won this game. This is the eighth game of the tournament against China. Uh, I think this is the semifinal game, right? Um, you're scoreless yeah. into the tenth. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, after the game, you know, my head coach at the time, Ralph Raymond, he just kind of tapped me on the cheek because obviously I was stunned, and you know, and also as a pitcher, you feel responsible, right? Because that's kind of what we do. Our job is to to hold the other team to to scoring zero runs, and obviously with the help of of great defense, and so. Um, you know, being stunned at the loss and, you know, you're going to get him again. And, you know, I was able to throw the final um, games and, um, you know, had the chance of being able to get back after them in the gold medal game. But, yeah, we had a, a semifinal game where we were in the exact same international tiebreaker and we were able to, um, you know, get it done. Did that take some of this thing away? I mean, you mentioned this chance at history, and it was I just remember watching it and feeling you know so heartbroken for you and uh, how how all you guys competed for for that long and it disappears on one pitch on kind of this technicality with the runner at second base. Uh, but does coming back to win a game like that in the semifinal and then actually winning the gold medal, did that take a little bit of the sting away from you? Well, I mean, overall, your your goal is to to win a you know win a championship. For us, it was to win a gold medal. So, I mean, the ultimate goal was achieved. But you know, losing is never easy. I, I think you know, for a lot of athletes, you know, they hate to lose more than they love to win. And you know, that's kind of me. I I, I tend to to remember the losses more than I remember the wins. And um, you know, those always leave lasting memories. And I think that's you know, part of the reason why you, you try to learn from your mistakes and you learn from your shortcomings is so that they don't happen again. Although, unfortunately, in 2000, when I was at the Olympics, the same thing happened <laughs> in another round-robin uh, game in the tournament, and it was actually against Australia, and it was the exact same situation, went into the international tiebreaker, and I gave up a home run, and so I obviously didn't learn my lesson well in the round-robin play, but was able to come back uh, in the quarterfinals and the finals and ultimately, you know, win the gold medal. Um, and walk away with another gold medal in 2000. So, yeah, the international tiebreaker is a tough thing. It, it leaves it up to chance, right? It it kind of levels the playing field. You might have an, a dominant team, but, you know, anything can happen when you got a runner at second base and, and no outs. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can score. Yeah, and it's funny it, you say that. As I'm, as I'm trying to dig up the box scores from this game, I actually found my program from the 2000 Olympics, which I also covered, and I was at the uh, gold medal game. And it's funny, I didn't fill in your pitching line. I think the way the game ended, the game against Japan, I remember this vividly. The left fielder for Japan falls down, backpedaling, trying to catch a ball. You guys score the winning run and win the gold medal. I filled in all the box score up until that point, but I did not fill in your final pitching line. But you have a complete game (laughs) victory here. I have the E7 as Laura Berg hit the ball to left field. And that's the last thing on my scorecard. Oh, well, you know what? That was the game. You know, they uh, they jumped on us. You know, they jumped on us early. Japan did. And, uh, you know, we were able to come back. And then, obviously, light rain started to come. And Laura Berg drives the ball out to left field. And you're right. The left fielder starts backpedaling. And 
kind of gets tripped up a little bit, probably didn't have the best approach towards the ball, and, and it ended up going off the tip of her glove. So, um, ma'am, I, mean, I, I think it was Jennifer McFalls who yeah. ended up coming around to score the winning run, and I was on deck, and I couldn't have been happier. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely adds dramatics to the game. Um, it amplifies the defense, and, you know, it gets down to the first team that makes a mistake. You know, an international tiebreaker is usually the first team that's, you know, not going to be able to get it done. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how, you know, things will change and, um, you know, how the pro players play it out. Lisa, I was joking that, you know, fans are probably going to love the first time their team wins a game in this situation, <laughs> and they're going to hate the rule the first time they lose it. Has it evened out for you after all these years of playing under these rules, or is there still something when you lose one of these games where you're just kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, this just, this just isn't right? Yeah, no, it's, it still burns. It's going to be interesting in MLB because, you know, most of the time it's going to be a reliever who's yeah. going to take the mound. You know, exactly. and so now these guys are going to get credited for, you know, a win or a loss when normally they usually, um, you know, are in the game for saves. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how managers play it, you know, who they decide to bring in. Um, you know, some players are accustomed to, you know, throwing with people on base and some pitchers are not. So it's going to be interesting to see the dynamics. I don't know what the response has been um, from the minor leagues. Have they had any comments about it? I haven't spoken to anybody in the minor leagues. I think the idea was that it's definitely, you know, the goal obviously is to not have players in this current situation at the ballpark for all hours of the night. So uh, the ability to quicken a game, I think, has proven out over the minor league numbers. But the strategy part is interesting. What we were talking about earlier, it's not a given that you bunt. Um, you know, It depends on where you are in the lineup, who the capable hitters are, uh, who you have on base, who you have available, who you're facing. There are a lot more. You know, It seemed to be almost cut and dry when people say, well, this is easy. You're just going to bunt the runner over and get him in. But there are a lot more variables at play here, aren't there? Oh, yeah. No, that's why I say it. it actually is to the advantage to the visiting team. You know, if you end up scoring in the in the top half of the inning and you know you're up one nothing, then, you know, ultimately you have a little flexibility. You know, worst case scenario, you come out with a tie and you go back to, you know, you go to the next inning. You know, what you don't want to do is, you know, allow another runner to get to first base. However, if you didn't score the run, you know, now now you get a little bit more flexibility with, I don't want to throw to you, so I'm going to walk you, and I'm going to intentionally walk you. Now I'm going to get you. Mm -hmm. Oh, you put the ball in play, and now we move the runner over. Oh, oh, a double play? Okay, now there's two <laughs> outs runner at third. Well, I don't want to face you and you, so I'm going to walk you two. You know what I mean? Because now mm -hmm. you're playing with some flexibility, knowing that you're up you know, by a run or however you want to play it, or maybe you're tied. So it's it, it, there's definitely going to be some more strategy to um, – how situations want to be played out. I also feel like it's not that easy a decision for the visiting team to make that decision to play for one run because you know the winning run is in the batter's box no matter what if you only score the one run. And obviously we know what the situation has been in baseball with the home runs and um, it's you know it, it's been kind of that game for a little while. But uh, it's hard to give away the out, play for one run if that's all you're going to get and you're you know. As as you've experienced, you're one pitch away from losing the game, even if you push that one runner across. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's also true. There there have been people that have just decided to swing away, and they take their chances. And if they don't score, then they know going into the bottom half of the inning, hey, the runner at second base is the game. 
you know, and then obviously now the home team has a decision. They can simply bunt, knowing that they get that run across, game's over, they can decide how they want to play it. So you never know, the sacrifice bunt may actually become a part of baseball a little bit more in these extra inning games, you know, because they want to get an end to it. And they finally do get that runner in a position to be able to score um, or hitting opposite field. You know, maybe barrel control is going to become – um, another part of the game that's going to be emphasized a little bit now that this international tiebreaker has come into play, or however yeah. they're calling it. It's an interesting point. Uh, I'm wondering, I, I've watched some of the Yankees players as I've watched their practice take extra bunting practice. Have have players in your sport just been more adept at trying it because they know these situations do come up? Do they practice more because... Even if it doesn't come into play at other times, it absolutely becomes part of the game later. Well, you know, it, back in 2000 and 96 and 2000, during those Olympic Games, actually internationally, our mound was at 40 feet. Mm-hmm. And so when the mound was at 40 feet, the game was uh, a huge pitcher's game. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they, it would routinely you would have double-digit strikeouts. Um, three feet, mound gets moved back. Uh, in the 2004 Olympics, and then all of a sudden it becomes more offensive. And so really, you know, softball has transitioned a bit. Back in the day when the mound was at, at 40 feet, you would see a lot more bunting because really one run was so critical. Mm-hmm. The game has become more offensive now that the mound has gotten moved back uh, three feet, which happened um, in the 90s okay. in in, in uh in college ball, oh, okay. uh, internationally, it actually didn't happen until the 2004 Olympics. And so now, both internationally and collegiately, the mound is at 34, at 43 feet. So the game is definitely more offensive in both arenas. So there tends to be more of an offensive game, meaning players are, are swinging it more. But yet, when it still comes down to the international tiebreaker and when it's for you know, the fact of being able to just get one run across, Yes, the short game is still an important factor, and, and it is something that, although it's not as focused on as it was maybe you know 20 years ago, mm-hmm. um, it is still a part of the game that you want to be able to have in your back pocket. And then also the other thing is learning how to be able to hit behind the runner. Right, right. Move the, move the uh, runner up on those productive outs, as they say. Right, and if you get a base hit to right field, that's a bonus. You know, but worst-case scenario, you get a ground ball to second base, you can move the runner you know, from second to third, now you got one out runner at third, and uh, you're in a good sitch to be able to score many different ways. Lisa, I want to switch gears with you and ask you about how closely you followed all the different women who have been uh, hired by major league teams. When I say all, I mean it's it's a handful, but it's a lot more obviously than it had been in the past. Maybe some doors have been opened here. Uh, what are your thoughts as you see uh, major league teams hire women for coaching roles? Yeah, I mean, I think it's awesome. I mean, you know, especially with technology and the advancement to that part of the game, uh, it's really those that that have an eye for it, that have the thirst and really the drive and the communication skills. And whether it's female or male, it's really being able to help develop athletes and to develop players. And part of that is knowing the physical physicality of the game. Part of that is knowing the mentality of the game. Um, and I think it's great. I mean, I think there's been some incredible female athletes that have played at very high levels and know some things about the game that really can help propel others to achieve some of their success and, and some of their goals and some of their dreams. You know, the way technology is running, I mean, 
there's so much information through data, um, through swing analysis that, you know, simply being able to operate a computer and be able to analyze video. And, and really, it's a tag team effort between the coach and the athlete. Um, not every athlete is going to swing the same. So it's being able to learn how to be able to communicate and literally be the eyes for the athlete to be able to have kind of like a soundboard of communication um, that they can work together because ultimately it's the goal that wants to be achieved. And that's really to provide an opportunity for athletes to be great. And so um, I think it's awesome. I think it's definitely has provided opportunities for more females to be able to get involved in the game. I, I know there's a passion for it. I know there's, uh, you know, between softball and baseball, I mean, we, we consider ourselves to, um, be almost one in the same other than, you know, various differences when it comes to leadoffs and obviously the pitching and throwing under, you know, overhand compared mm-hmm. to underhand, but the basics of the game is very similar. Um, and so, you know, there's information that can transcend from one to the other. Lisa, what's your experience trying to coach men or coach boys? I know you're, I mean, you're obviously have been at UCLA for a long time coaching softball. Have you transitioned over or at least in private coaching or even informally, have you had experience uh, firsthand? Well, I actually have two boys. So I have a 14-year-old <laughs> yeah. um, who's a, a switch hitting uh, corner guy, um, catcher. So he would love to pitch. Um, he's got a mind for the game. And so it's, it's really fun to be able to talk the game. I've learned a lot. Uh, my husband played and I also have a seven year old that's involved. And so it's, it's been great to be able to, to learn different things about the game, especially when it comes to leadoffs and, you know, being able to pick pitches and, and stuff like that, which is very similar in terms of, uh, you know, from a hitter's perspective, you know, we try to pick pitches as well as, you know, as well as baseball players do, um, you know, fielding a round ball, throwing it over to the next base, some of the strategies are very similar. Obviously, the field is bigger in baseball, so the utilization of a double cut is something that we probably don't do in softball. Uh, actually, we don't do it in softball mm-hmm. because the field isn't as big. So there right. are some minor adjustments that need to be na- made because of the dimensions of the field and so forth. But there's really a lot that comes into play that's very similar, especially offensively when it comes to hitting um, You know, and thought processes as far as being able to generate power and you know, being able to hit both sides of the plate, being able to hit both planes. Um, you know, there there are things that we do. I, obviously, our balls do move a little bit differently. We, we do have a rise. Um, but there are baseball players that throw with high velocity, that throw up in the zone, that also have the deception as if the ball is rising as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot that correlate back and forth. And then there are some differences. And, and for those differences, you know, that's where a student, which hopefully a coach is, is also a student of the game is something that you can learn um, to be able to teach and hand off information to others. And how is it that you Southern California born and raised are raising, you told me what a Yankee fan and a Red Sox fan. Oh, I know. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, my son was, um, my son was, uh, my oldest was born in 2005 and um, you know, that's when the, the Boston Red Sox went on their huge run and, yeah, you know, four, uh, yeah, pop, yep. you know, big poppy fan ever was mm-hmm. my son. And um, <laughs> he's a diehard Boston Red Sox fan. And then my seven-year-old who was born in 2013 played T-ball. And the first team he was on was the New York Yankees. And, <laughs> you know, Aaron Judge is there and forget about it. Now it's, you know, a house divided between the Yankees and, <laughs> and, uh, and the Boston Red Sox. So, um, you know, and of course, we're, you know, we're Dodger fans, right? You know, Dodgers and Angels. So it makes for an interesting dynamic, um, but we have a good time. We love the game. Uh, we, You know, it's on 24-7 when, when we're here at home, and even now that it's not on, MLB Network is, 
you know, seems to be the channel of choice. So um, we're looking forward to be able to, you know, hopefully seeing the the guys out on the field and um, looking forward to, to be able to see and hopefully that gets done. Yeah, that's fantastic. So let me ask you this, from your perspective, as you're watching the Sunday night baseball game the last few years, and you see and hear Jessica Mendoza, your former Olympic teammate, on the broadcast, (laughs) I mean, from your own perspective and from your kids watching and listening to her uh, broadcast that game, what's that like for you? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I obviously know a lot about Jessica Mendoza, so I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys should have seen her, you know, in 2004 when she was on the Olympic team. He would have thought, what is she doing doing baseball? But, um, no, she's just been tremendous. I mean, for her to be able to open the doors and represent um, and do so much. And, and once again, you know, she's a student of the game, and whether it's softball or, or baseball, and an athlete that loves um, what they do can learn it, can know it, can be able to articulate it and she's done a great job of being able to represent and you know credit to the athletes that have been open to be able to know that you know a female athlete and and the respect that we get and and that I think has probably been the coolest thing is I've been very fortunate Jenny Finch has been very fortunate to have been able to go out and actually compete against some of these guys um, and be able to throw and and actually have them swing and I think they have an appreciation uh, for what it is that we do. Um, when you talk about reaction time, you know, we're 43 feet away throwing it in upwards of 70 miles an hour. When you kind of translate it in terms of reaction time is very similar to a, a pitch in the high 90s. Um, I think it's like 99 to 100 in terms mm-hmm. of reaction time, um, knowing that at baseball they're throwing from 60, uh, 60 feet 6 inches, I believe. Mm-hmm. So um, there is a respect that they have. You know, when they see our game and they see the third baseman, you know, playing – you know, 15 feet in front of a bag because there's a lefty up to bat that can run a 2-6 down to first base and how we have to be able to transition and get rid of the ball. Uh, there's a different facet to our game that I think uh, the guys in MLB or, or just baseball fans in general can respect about our game in terms of the quickness of it, in terms of the power that we have and display. But yet, um, you know, we have athletes that can hit, you know, 15, 20 bombs and can still get down the line with the best of them in terms of their speed. So, it brings a different facet to the game, uh, the speed, the quickness that we play with, the power, um, the reaction time that's needed to play the game. And, and I think that the baseball players have a respect for that. And so I appreciate them um, because it is a, a difficult game that we play, as they know. And as we experience as softball players, you know, whether it's softball or baseball, if you fail, you know, if you get three hits at a 10 times at bat, four hits at a t- you're an, you're an amazing athlete. That means mm-hmm. you fail more times than you succeed and you're still considered to be great and that's tough you know we play a game of failure and so i think we have a mutual respect for one another because we understand how hard it is to hit a round object with a round object i think one of the other things that i've found interesting in covering athletes nowadays is that you know the 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 players don't care about the back of the coach's baseball cards so much as what can you do to help me get better and what you were talking about earlier, whether it's studying analytics or video or being able to translate that, it doesn't necessarily matter who it's coming from if the player understands that that is being used to help you get better, the player is going to listen no matter where it's coming from. Yeah, I mean, that's communication. You know, I mean, like I said, we play a game of failure. And, you know, communication is huge. Confidence is huge. Belief is huge just in terms of being able to 
um, you know, help an athlete achieve, you know, it's, you know, it's interesting when, when people, you know, why did he do that? Why did, well, you know, when you're standing at the plate and you've got 50,000 people yelling at you and it's a critical situation (laughs) and the pressure is high, there could be a lot of things running through your head. And so, you know, one of the most valuable things for a coach is to be able to have the ability to be able to control and help an athlete control a situation that sometimes can be overwhelming. And there's a lot of athletes that can handle it flawlessly. You know, they're used to the pressure and, you know, when the pressure's on, they seem to be able to slow the game down. And then there's other athletes when the pressure's on, sometimes the game speeds up. And, you know, a lot of that is learned, learned when the athletes are young. And if they have the experience of competing in those moments, you know, the more opportunities that a young player has to compete in those high-pressured, you know, winner-take-all games, national championship games, the more they learn how to be able to handle those nerves or those emotions and put them into their benefit. You know, adrenaline is a beautiful thing when it's put in the right direction. Um, sometimes it gets put in the wrong direction, and now you'll find a pitcher throwing the ball over the backstop. So, you know, that coaching is, is multifaceted. And, yes, obviously the merits that maybe a coach may have of what they've done in the past can definitely help an athlete, but not if they're not able to communicate and really relate to the athlete and get their information across to the athlete, um, then really it's all for naught. And so it's it's really an important piece. So after your two boys are done benefiting from all that expertise, uh, where do you see yourself a few years down the road? As these doors are being opened, do you see yourself even possibly entertaining the idea of moving into organized professional baseball? Well, right now I'm coaching at UCLA, and, you know, that's something that I love and and being able to work with high-level athletes that we're pretty fortunate. I have a great relationship with the Dodgers. Uh, They've been tremendous to uh, the support that I've had from them personally and then obviously the support, you know, with my family. They've always have welcomed. Dave Roberts uh, Mm -hmm. has been amazing. Um, It's just been great to be able to be a part of the organization and so uh, would always be welcome to it, you know, and, and being able to just, you know, be as an advisor, you know, for information, if there's anything I could ever do. Um, you know, I, I just love to see people succeed. I love people be able to compete and be confident in what they're doing because to me it's about being able to express and be able to show all the hard work that you've been able to be able to put into a game and then be able to display it for all to see. And I think that's just a beautiful thing when an athlete can play freely um, and truly compete at the highest level and give their best. So uh, we're going to talk again, I guess, when the Yankees and Dodgers meet in the World Series eventually, right? (laughs) Yeah, that would be awesome. (laughs) We would love that. My thanks again to Lisa Fernandez, whose husband, Mike Lujan, is former college outfielder and coaches high school ball in Southern California. Their two boys are Antonio, the 14-year-old Red Sox fan, and Cruz, the 7-year-old Yankees fan. And yes, she did get to finish off a perfect game against Australia in another international tournament two years after the heartbreak in Atlanta. And at the 1998 World Championships, she beat Australia in the gold medal game with a one-hitter and slugged a home run for the game's only run. Again, just part of her legacy is probably the greatest pitcher in her sports history. At any rate, the new rule will bring plenty of debate as it gets put into action. I can't wait to see it.
If you're new here, please check out the 30 with Murdy archive at radio.com or Apple Podcasts. Recent conversations have varied from actor D.B. Sweeney to Hall of Famer Joe Torrey to the former Mariners owner and founder of WFAN, Jeff Smullyan. Make sure you hit subscribe and review and all that jazz. And until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening and stay safe out there. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.